Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Review Podcast. On this episode, we will be discussing and reviewing Aquaman. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcasts, go to lcamoviereviews.com. This podcast does contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Listener discretion is advised. And now, here are your hosts for the podcast, Mike Winkler and Jason Kobasek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Review Podcast. I am Mike Winkler. And I am Jason Kobasek. Okay, so um, some things have dramatically changed since you... Uh, last heard us on our best of worst of 2018 podcast um we now have a website where we're doing written reviews on top of the podcast yes we are very excited about going into this new venture uh taking this a lot more seriously now um biggest thing is we are working on getting more rec our name a little bit more recognized now trying to be able to get out there with some of the more famous like movie podcast reviews. True. Uh, looking into actually getting some press passes to go to these like bigger film festivals and all that, so we can actually, you know, see some of these movies firsthand. Right. Um, we actually are in the midst of uh, filling out uh, press applications for the Cleveland Film Festival, so we are hoping to uh, be able to get there, be able to see a lot of films. Really really actually write a lot of written ones on the site from the festival because God only knows how many films we'll be able to see there. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Um, we're very excited about this. You might have also noticed, too, we've launched a new um, podcast logo or a new movie review logo, separate from our other one, to kind of relaunch ourselves because this is a new year, kind of a new us, but we're still doing this podcast, you know, just like we always have. Um, we are also even using a new microphone now, Yes, and it seems to be working out a lot better than what we had before. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely you know trying to up the up the ante here and step things up. Um, right now, the website is up. It's kind of a funny um, web address right now. You can find it on our Facebook page. But uh, I'm in the midst of uh, purchasing a, a domain name. Um, I'm, we're, right now, I'm leaning more towards um, lcareviews.com. You know, Which would work. Yeah, so that's what we're looking at. We're hoping, hoping to have that up probably within the next week or two with a domain name to make things a little bit more easier to find us. So um, so here's the podcast we promised you in our last one. We are doing the, uh, the review and discussing DC's Aquaman. Yes, uh, I like I said in our best of uh, podcast, this was... A really big surprise for me. It was really well done, and like I said, this was one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, it was, um, I don't want to say it was a genuine surprise, per se, because, you know, coming off of... Um, this is still a surprise to me because of the fact of how poorly DC movies have been done. Well, right. I mean, DC has a track record of really butchering movies, um, although I don't think, uh, you know, Justice League and all those other ones are as bad as people have made them out to be. But they certainly are lacking in the respect of where they compare to as far as where Marvel standards are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, Aquaman really was a, uh, a surprise. It holds up really well against Wonder Woman, which is considered to be the best DC movie within this DC universe now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all in all, uh, very good film. 
It really was. Uh, Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, all of them that participated in this movie did a fantastic job. And I couldn't imagine anyone else playing those roles. No, no. Everybody stepped it up. Everybody fit into the roles really well. Jason Momoa just fits into this Aquaman role so well. He plays it with flawlessly. I mean, flawlessly. And Amber Heard, man, you know, she's she's was a, she's was been around, but she's kind of disappeared as of late. And with this, she's kind of entering back into the spotlight. And this role was really perfect for her. Yeah, uh, it, this really brought her back into the limelight, I thought. And I'm looking forward to seeing where they go from here. Um, you know, I, I've been looking through a lot of this. And I, I don't know if you know, but the Aquaman film has been rumored for a long time. I mean, it's gone through a lot of different people playing the role, who's going to make it. Um, it. From what I've been reading here, we can go back as far as 2004 as to when this was supposed to be brought to the screen and developed. Yeah, and I don't know whether or not it would have worked for that time frame. It might have, it might have uh, bombed back then. Well, yeah, because at that time we didn't really have many superhero movies. We didn't even have Batman Begins at that time yet. Um, I think the last big superhero movie before 2004... Hmm. What in 2004 was around? I mean, minus the the Batman films, what really was around in 2004? That might have been a failed Incredible Hulk movie back then. Oh, yeah, in 2001 when Eric Bana played him, you're right. Yeah, I don't. I, that's probably the only one I really can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, that's all um, I can think of right now. Also, it, it looks as though too. Back in July of '09, the movie went back into development with Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Warner. Yeah, it went back into development at uh, DiCaprio's Appian Way. Yeah, that, that would. I don't know how that really would have worked out. I don't know if DiCaprio would have tried to step into the role. Along that, with that would have probably ruined it, in my opinion. Yeah, DiCaprio is no Aquaman, no, no question. I could see DiCaprio playing a very comic booky Aquaman, not the kind of more serious incarnation we get here. So what you're talking about is more like the Jim Carrey version of the Riddler. That's a pretty good example. But it, Fair that enough. would have ruined it, in my opinion. Fair enough. I, I could definitely agree with that. Um, this Aquaman was first launched, of course, in in Batman vs Superman. Uh, you know, we we really didn't get to see him that much in that film. It was just basically a, a what a, a, it was like a camera that was underwater that got him, and Bruce Wayne was watching the the camera feed. Yeah, yeah. So we got our first taste of him here, and then Justice League, of course, we finally got him in full form. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this has gone on. This has gone under a lot of development, and we finally, after all these years, after what uh, sixteen years, fifteen years in development, we finally get the film. It's about time to. Yeah, long overdue. Long overdue indeed. Um, now, my question for you is, uh, when we talked a little, little bit about this, but uh, Jason Momoa, do you really think that like he plays this role and fits this role as well as uh, Gal Gadot did in Wonder Woman? Has he really embodied this? I think he really has embodied this role magnificently. Like, he it, the way that he carries himself in this film, it's like he you can tell that he believes that he actually is Aquaman. Yeah, it does translate awfully well, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I, it, I it's like saying uh, with certain characters in the Marvel universe that you couldn't that 
you can't picture anyone else playing that role because they embody it so well because it just seems like they truly believe that that's who they are. It's like Tom Hiddleston playing Loki. Yeah. that that's a... It's like Hemingsworth being Thor. Yeah, they embody it. They, they, they literally embrace the role so much that they've become that, that character. You can't really see anybody else playing that part. That's how believable they are playing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's come a long way. Uh, I think DC is maybe finally getting on the right track with things. It seems like anyway. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of the game because they could take, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Which I'm very scared of seeing. Well, I mean... Because DC, you as you know, does not have a good track record when it comes to that. No. So we're start- starting what it looks to be the progress towards making the right steps here it's a matter of can they keep this momentum going or are they going to stutter step back and fall on their ass well that's a good question because i'm i'm trying to think what is coming up on dc slate what is really what do they have coming forward i mean we know wonder woman 2 which is titled wonder woman 1985 i mean i have a lot of hope for that you know, we have same director, I believe, same writers. So, I mean, there should be a lot of hope that that movie's going to turn out the way it should. I mean, one can hope. I mean, I don't really know for sure. But um, I know we have Shazam coming out this year. I don't really have a lot of hope for that, unfortunately. I have a decent amount of hope for it. Okay. Well, I'm always open-minded, and I will still see it because it's DC. I'm looking up now for everyone to figure out what the ne- what the next slate is for this. Uh, we've got, yeah, Shazam coming out this year. Uh, we've also got Birds of Prey coming out next year. That's right. The teaser came online. Uh, it was like a little 30-second teaser of uh, Harley Quinn and, the, and little bits of Birds of Prey because they're filming now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is indeed coming as well. And then uh, it was Wonder Woman 1984. 1984, okay. And that's going to be coming out next year as well. Um, is there... Uh, we've also got an untitled Batman film coming out in 2021. Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, What that's... looks to be the sequel to Suicide Squad coming out that same year. Okay, that's interesting. That's awfully interesting. Um, that should be, uh... Um, because Suicide Squad feels like ages ago anymore now. Yeah, well, I mean, it came out in 2016, so it was almost three years ago at this point. Wow, that three years has flown by. Oh, I know. Um, I'm looking and at... then uh, you've also got a Flash movie coming out in 2021 as well. Is that still being called Flashpoint, or is that just going to Flash now? I believe it is just being called The Flash. Okay, so they've diverted themselves away from Flashpoint. Um, I'm looking up the cast of Birds of Prey, because I really didn't know who was playing who here. Um, it looks like Journey Samolt Bell is playing Black Canary. I'm trying to see where we've seen her before. She's played in True Blood, Friday Night Lights. Um, I mean, her filmography's not expansive here, so she's relatively a newbie. We've Mar- got some decent people on this uh, list here for her cast. I mean, uh, we've obviously got Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Absolutely. Like you said, Journey, Smollett Bell as Black Canary. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress. I didn't see that one coming, but I think that could work. I'm really interested to see how that works. Yeah. Uh, Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya. Okay. 
We've got Ella J. Basco as Cassandra Kane. Not really sure who that is. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Wow. I'm very, very interested to see how he pulls this role off. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see that one coming at all. And Chris Mencia as Victor, Victor, Victor Zaz. Zaz. Wow. I don't really know who he is either, but I'm, I'm actually glad that Victor Zaz is going to be in this film because the last time that I've seen anything of him was when I played the, uh, I think it was the Arkham City Batman game. Yeah. Um, so that would be interesting. So that's going to be... Uh, to answer your question about Chris Mens- uh, Messina, he has been in... You've got mail. Uh, let's see what else he's been in. The Giant Mechanical Man. He was part of Julie and Julia, Ruby Sparks. Uh, he's been in a lot of different films. Not really that many big roles, but... What you do see him in is a lot of stuff that's been uh, like off Broadway, uh, TV series. Like he's been in um, Six Feet Under's Ted Farewell, like during the final season. You know, it. He's a good actor. You just have to dive deep, a little deep, in order to figure out like where he is at. As for casting on this film, they've had some really well-done roles here. Uh, Like, you've got Willem Dafoe playing... uh, Who was Willem Dafoe again? I can't remember the exact name. Green Lantern and um, Spider-Man. No, I'm talking about for this film. Oh, for uh, for Aquaman? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, because I just went on about uh, Messina. Uh, He played... Uh, Nudius Volko? Yeah, he played Volko. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, So yeah, this whole big universe is going to be interesting how they're going to pull this off. But um, let's dive into Aquaman. That's what we're we're here for. Uh, Although it was kind of nice to talk about DC, because considering how much we got into Marvel and Infinity War. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So, the beginning of this film... We start in 1985 Maine, and we see a lighthouse keeper named Thomas Curry who rescues Atlanta, the princess of the underwater nation of Atlantis, during a thunderstorm. Uh, Yeah, they eventually fall in love, and then they have a son who is Arthur. Yes. Who was born with the power to communicate with marine life forms. Mm -hmm. Yes, um... That leads into some uh, different scenes showing uh, how the mother and father, you know, grow up Arthur Curry. And uh, we are led to Atlantis soldiers coming in, trying to take her back to Atlantis. And that does not go too well for the Atlantean soldiers. No, it does not. She is able to fight them off with no issue. Uh, But it does lead to her coming to the decision that she has to abandon her family for now and return to Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, she entrusting Volko uh, to train him. Train Arthur. Yeah. Um, what's interesting here is I liked seeing Atlanta fight 
in this scene, I thought that was pretty a pretty badass sequence. Yeah. And a good start for the first five to six minutes of the film. Um, getting a chance to see the Atlantean powers right out of the gate. You know, they don't waste much time there. Um, but uh, what I found interesting, too, is... And, and this, this leads to the one reference we get in the whole film. Um, there was really no references to Justice League or any of the Justice League in this film other than when... Um, uh, just a very slight mention of Steppenwolf. Yeah, Mira and, and, and Arthur are talking... Yeah, and he says about, you know, Steppenwolf. And that's the only reference we we get here, which I thought was a bold choice. It really was, but I can see why they did it. Because they're trying to make this movie its own without any sort of mention to referencing the Justice League. Because he really hasn't truly become Aquaman until the latter part of this movie. Right, when he's in his full outfit and gets the staff and becomes king of Atlantis. Yeah. Very, right, very much so. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought it was a bold choice. It was a risky decision, but it, it, but it, it ends up working because I, I think it's good that they're, they're allowing the film to stand on its own. And that's kind of the mistakes that uh, Batman vs. Superman made is that they were willing to put the two of them together so quickly and to make this Justice League universe... I mean, how many Marvel movies did we get before we got the Avengers? A good deal of them. We before we got the first Avengers movie, right? Oh, uh, we had to have gotten at least five or six. Yeah, I think what's the Iron Man, uh, Captain America, Thor, um, Incredible Hulk. I think we got Iron Man two as well. Yeah, I think you're right. So that there's five right there. Yeah, five that I know of. And then here we get two films, and then we get Justice League. Where Batman vs Superman was basically a minor Justice League film already, which was it, it led into that. It sent, Batman vs Superman was essentially a prelude to who we were going to see in the Justice League, right? And in the DC Extended Universe. Mm-hmm. Well, DC felt pressure to rush into this universe because they were getting the, the shit beat out of them by Marvel. You know, and they felt like, well, we well, need to I come mean, out with Justice ex- League. What do you expect when you come out with shitty product like they have been for the, however many years? Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're playing the Rush game. Batman vs. Superman what, what was a way to try to, oh, you know, the fans want to see this, you know, so we, we should do it. Where we should have gotten a Man of Steel 2, we should have gotten a Batman film, and then probably got Batman vs. Superman. But to introduce a new Batman in that film felt like too much at one time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, so after all this, um, Arthur, Arthur's intro, the Arthur that we know, the adult Arthur, the first time he shows up is during this confrontation against a group of pirates on a Russian naval nuclear submarine. Which leads us to being introduced to uh, Jesse and David Kane, which is the father and son duo, which David was the leader of this pirate group. Right, right. Um, and as the as the film goes on, of course, uh, David Kane becomes. Which as, uh, going into this whole sequence of events here, um, Jesse Kane was their leader at one point, and uh, he got killed in this confrontation with Arthur. Right, which. David saw that when he was getting away, and he vowed revenge right there. 
Well, right, because David basically begs Arthur to help him save his father, and, and Arthur knows that if he saves him, they're still going to come after him anyway. He realizes yeah. in the best interest of humanity and the big picture of things to, to let the father die because he's just a horrible, terrible man. But this ends up backfiring because David Kane ends up becoming the villain Black Manta later, and he becomes a huge part of the middle of the third act and so on and so forth. Yeah, and then, so uh, he ends up later targeting uh, Atlantis, At Atlantis, Jesus, Atlantis, uh, on the word of Orm. Right. Uh, big, big bad Orn. Arthur Curry's big bad brother. The Ocean Master. Which I'm happy that they introduced the Ocean Master in this film. Yeah. Because I... he was a big part of the Aquaman series. Well, it makes sense that they would start with him right out of the gate because one of the biggest parts of the Aquaman comics, you know, they, they want Aquaman to work and... He is the perfect choice. And, and the way they incorporate him with Black Manta in the same film, a lot of people might think it's, it suffers from, um, I call it Spider-Man 3 syndrome. Yeah. You know, where they try to shove three villains down our throat in one movie. They, they don't do this here. We get two villains, but the way the way the, the, the way it's written and the way it's laid out and the way the, the, way the separation goes here, yeah. it works. It does not fail here with the whole villain, uh, villain ratio. So... Um, Okay, so that, that, that's a good way to introduce Arthur. We get a chance to see a cool sequence there. Um, and then, of course, this leads to uh, uh, Mira coming to visit Arthur and explain to him about what Orn's uh, plan is for, for Atlantis into the real world, into the human world, and Arthur wants no part of this. Yeah, uh, the biggest thing to look at here also is that uh, King Narius of Zebel, who, which was played by Dolph Lundgren, which I was completely surprised by. This is his second movie of the year, second big movie of the year, between this and uh, Creed Two. Yeah. and he's... I was not expecting to see him in this film at all. I didn't even know mm -hmm. he was supposed to be a part of it. No, the trailers didn't even show him, I don't think, at all. Not that I can remember. Uh, but, yeah, so... King Narius of Zebel uh, swears allegiance to Orm's cause to start the war against the humans. Yeah. Um, which leads to uh, Mera, which we find out was uh, essentially uh, partnered by his by her father to Orm to get married. Yeah, you to unite the. Uh, Two families. Your, your traditional um, going against the crazy king scenario. Um, well, because Mira can see how corrupt and how angry and bad Orm is, and she realizes the only person that can take him down is the man that can challenge him for the throne. Yeah. And, um, you know, so she, she entrusts Arthur to do this, and... It works, but not without her... Uh, she earned his trust by saving his father from a tsunami sent by Orm. Correct, yes. That was uh, that was the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Arthur wanting to attack finally and come to terms with things because it threatened his family and it threatens the world that he loves. So he teams up with Mira and they get thrown into a craft and they go towards Atlantis where he sees his home for the very first time. Yeah, and... Their reason for going there, at least for now, is to rendezvous with Volko, 
who is trying to urge Arthur to find the trident of Atlan in order to become the what true rightful heir as king of Atlantis. What did you think of the uh, the world of Atlantis in general? Like it was very well done. Like the CGI animation, everything involved in there was not like poorly put together. No rush job. Seemed like it had its place. Everything seemed to flow properly. And it just seemed like it worked out really well. Like, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really cool and very well done. Um, I think the one thing I was really concerned with with this film is I was really worried about Green Lantern Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Because mm-hmm. Green Lantern's effects were so god-awful, and it really ruined that film. And uh, especially since Green Lantern went back and they delayed the film and put more money into the effects, I have to ask... How bad were the effects before they went back and put more money into it? Because the effects were still shit. Uh, very. Yeah, so I was really worried about that, and I was happy to see that we didn't have this problem here, that the effects were very well done, and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say there wasn't scenes that didn't look thing, but every film has, has a few scenes where things don't look quite as right as they should. But all in all, this movie did not suffer that at all, and Atlantis really was a very well done, put-together sequence. It really was. I... Like I said, I am very happy that they spent the time and the money needed to in order to actually make it what it should be. Yeah, because this really, I think Atlantis the scenes would have made or break the movie. If they didn't feel right or they felt fake or thing, it would have ruined the whole film. Yeah. So, very encouraging to see that DC spent the time that they needed to make this right. Um. Okay, so Arthur gets captured... And challenges Orn to a battle for the throne. Okay, we know this is early in the film, so we know this is not going to go well. Yeah, because Orm breaks uh, Arthur's trident and nearly kills him before Mera eventually rescues him. Correct. Um, And that leads to them traveling to find the trident of Atlan and... um, we get our first look at Black Manta through all this because Orm hires Black Manta to hunt down and destroy Arthur. And gives him Atlantean uh, technology to be able to do the job, which he ends up taking the technology and forging it into his own gear, which we find out how, just how like smart that he really is because he's able to take Atlantean technology and transform it into that suit. Yeah, he really, he, he spends the time with the, with the suit and he just evolves, um, changes up the whole outfit and just makes it something so much more than what Orm gave him. Yeah. Um, really cool. Um, now, what I found to be interesting through all this too, and, and, and this is something that I'd like to see developed more through the Aquaman sequels is, um, I mean, we, we spend time... Oh, we got a phone call in the background. We're, we're going to let that go. Um, hello? Excuse that bringing noise in the background. Um, <laughs> there we go. Okay, um, what I was going to say is they spent a lot of time in this film developing the relationship with, with 
Arthur and Mira. And I like this because we know where this relationship's going to go later on. Yeah, yeah. the fact that they spent the time that they did on this showing, you know, that they both essentially really just did not like each other at all. No, there was they a lot of... They didn't trust each other whatsoever. No, not at all. And this is not your traditional, you know, their traditional you know, hookup the, situation. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth. They fight with each other, but it's but it's it's the fighting that you know is going to evolve into something more. And I'm hoping that in the sequel, they're going to continue this because they build off it so much in this film. And I'm hoping it just doesn't just disappear into the fog. Well, you'll notice at the end scenes when we get there, when we talk about that though, that that's not going to be the case. It's and I'm, and I'm hoping not. I'm you hoping know not. that it's not. I'm hoping not, but it, it but, but the two of them, uh, Momoa and, and Heard, play this so well, and they play off each other really well too. Um, so yeah, I, that's something in this film that really, really I think drove this movie because most of the screen time is with them too. That's where more, most of your screen time comes from. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Um, so Arthur and Mira encounter Black Manta for the first time. Well, the first of all, they're end up journeying to the Sahara Desert where the trident was originally forged that they found out. That's right. You know, and it unlocked a message in that uh, forge that they went to. Oh yeah, they found the, 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 the destination in the in the temple. It was the message from uh uh the, the original king. Yeah, Atlan. Right. And it led them to uh, Sicily. Mm-hmm. Where they end up eventually finding the Trident's coordinates. Yeah, and that leads them to Black Manta, of course. Um, let's see here. So, Black Manta in this sequence gets taken down. Um, he's presumed dead. We know that's but not going to be the case. When they first run into him, he injures Arthur before he's thrown off a cliff. Yeah, though. Arthur is pretty banged up. He's pretty banged up here. Uh, Amira nurses his wounds, and the only thing that probably can save him is to find the Trident's whereabouts. And that leads to a sequence that I thought was really cool. And then she's the one that... She didn't want this to happen at all, but she eventually warmed up to the idea and actually encouraged Arthur to embrace his destiny as a hero to take up that mantle as the king of Atlantis. Yeah, because he was always butting heads that, you know, this is not what I want. It's not my destiny. I don't want to be king. And she was agreeing that it wasn't for the best. Right. It isn't until this point here where we get this really cool sequence where Arthur has to go into the trench, which I thought was really cool. It really was. The fact that they were able to pull off the amphibious monsters that are known as the trench as well as they did was really was really nice to see mm-hmm. yeah uh, this leads through like it's like a wormhole kind of thing underneath the water and, uh, that's what I would have thought it would have had to have been like a wormhole or some sort of portal because these the, these creatures they don't ever rise up from 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 here, they they have stayed neutral into this territory, and they don't ever come out of it. Yeah. Um. So. But it uh, yeah it transports them to an uncharted sea located at the center of the earth. Right. Right. And uh, as Arthur continues to travel through this, he 
comes face to face with Corinthian, the mythical leviathan that guards the trident of... Vo- and, yeah, he voices his determination to protect both Atlantis and the surface. Uh, proving his... Wor- oh, no, that is Arthur that says that. Not my bad. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, um, the... is, uh, guarding the trident. Yeah, this and, yeah, was... Arthur faces him, and, you know, like I was saying before, like, where, before I got confused... Was that, uh, you know, he voices determination to protect both Atlantis and the surface, proving his worth and reclaiming the trident. Yeah, this this sequence was just... Well, the, the way the Which, sequence when ends... When you see uh, both Atlanta and Mera waiting for him outside of the wormhole, mm-hmm. and then you when you see the scene where he is able to grab the trident out of uh, Atlan's hands right. and be able to and stand there when he comes out in the full Aquaman outfit. That was badass. That's it's probably the best moment of the whole movie. That's when you can tell, you know, he's fully embraced it. That, you, that shows that he's the true rightful heir to uh, Atlantis. You know, I wasn't sure how this was going to work or how, how it was going to... How the uniform or the outfit was going to look because... You know, when you look at the outfit in the comics, you know, you're always seeing the orange, you know, color being very vibrant. And I, I, I remember when I saw the, the last trailer and they showed a little a little piece of the outfit. Yeah. I wasn't sure how this was going to work because I was afraid that they were going to make it too comic booky and it wasn't going to fit Momoa's Aquaman. You know, it wasn't going to fit. Yeah, you would have thought, but they actually did a really well t- done job. Well, it ends up working really well, too, because when we get into the final sequence of his fight with Orm, the final battle, it works. Which, right here, I mean, yeah, because Orm and his allies, I, they led an army against the uh, Kingdom of the Brine with the intent of completing Orm's uh, surface battle preparations to yeah. wage war against the surface. Right. And it, this is where he declares himself Ocean Master. Yeah, because he ends up... Um betraying the uh what did they call the people it was the people that um they were the the, the green alien looking creatures oh i know what you're talking about but i can't remember the name yeah well orm betrays them in a very very interesting sequence because in this same sequence he betrays them because he betrayed the king but that with that he the rightful heir to that was their kid, at which point then Orm threatens them to, you know, make the right decision and uh, follow his plans. Right. Well, you see, too, how, like, in the same sequence when he betrays the people, we get the same sequence where he finds out um, the ultimate betrayal. Yeah. You know, uh, when... Uh, Nudius, which he finds out that he's been going behind his back to help Arthur and Mira, and this all happens kind of at one time, and it just hits you, you know, right away, um, on how they on how they really turn Orm into. I mean, at this point, we know Orm is the bad guy. We know he has bad intentions, but the things that happen in this matter of five to ten minute span 
really just proves how bad he really is. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... Looking at all this, uh, after he declares himself Ocean Master, you've got Arthur and Mira coming up along with uh, the Carathen and the Trench, and they intervene, get in the way of Orm attacking the Kingdom of the Brine, mm-hmm. and uh, he they lead an army of marine creatures in a battle against them. I mean, that was you, cool. you, what you see is... A lot of Orm and his army, you know, for the most part, just pushing them back, which I, it, which is what you would expect to see happen. But it's when you get to the point where Orm's followers start renouncing their obedience to him after they see after Mira shows them the fact that Arthur has claimed the trident of atland which mm-hmm. gives him full control of the seven seas so they embrace him as their true king well it's cool how this works too because in this sequence you see arthur riding the creatures and how he's taking control of everything and everybody and how he has literally taken hold of of everything to have people believe in him all in this given moment and him becoming the very thing that his destiny is always proven him to be yeah which at this point they see the one-on-one fight at the end between him and ocean master good fight which leads to uh arthur finally breaking the trident of orm and his father which uh ends that fight there but he chooses to spare Orm's life and brings up Atlanta. That's the one thing we didn't mention. The surprise reveal that Atlanta is alive. Well, we did go through that, I believe. Did we mention that? I believe we did. I thought that was kind of a cool... Did you see that? Did you know that was going to happen? I was not expecting that to happen. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That was a little bit of a surprise to me, too, as well. But, yeah, I thought it was really cool. You're right, with uh, after Arthur defeats Orm, how... Atlanta... Yeah, like, Orm accepted his fate uh, after discovering that Arthur found and rescued Atlanta. Yeah, that sequence, how how Orm says, you know, kill me, do that. And once he realized the mother's alive, how everything just kind of... Yeah, and then you've got this great end sequence with uh, Atlanta returning to the surface at that pier where you see... Where they mentioned at earlier in the movie how uh, Arthur's father Thomas is every morning walks down to that pier and waits and finally sees and finally sees her standing right at the end of the pier. Yeah, that's uh... and seeing those two reunite, while at the same time we see uh, Arthur ascending to the throne with Mira by his side. Which I think that's kind of up for interpretation that Mira is going to become the queen. I that, That's how I see it. It, that, it. There's no other way to interpret it. You see the love interest between them right. towards the end of the movie. So you know that that's going to be the case. Um, but yeah, all in all, I, I, I like the ending. I like the build towards it. But the big surprise to me here really is, you know, the mid-to-end credit scene. You know, remember when I was telling you in the movie that I kept waiting, like, there's got to be a Justice League, you know... Uh, and credit sequence here that's going to be like a, a short tease and what we get here 
It has nothing but, to do with 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 but uh, the yeah, we never saw anything involving and like leading out to what the next movie could be about or what anything in the next part of the DC universe could be about. Mm-hmm. The mid credit scene that we get is uh, the fact that David or Black Mana gets rescued by. Uh, Dr. Stephen Shin, who Which is, is a, a scientist and a conspiracy theorist that's obsessed with the Atlanteans. Uh, and he agrees to lead Shin there, but in exchange for Shin's help in his revenge on Arthur. Well, anybody that doesn't know who this doctor is, if you watched closely throughout the film, this doctor was shown, whenever they would show a sequence on TV, there was a doctor talking about things. Um so he is, in fact, the doctor that we see on the TV throughout the film. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was a surprise that we didn't get it. That we didn't get any cameos or even like any hints as towards Justice League is going. That they really felt like Aquaman, in a way, should stand on its own. And I think that's partly because they realize right now, you know, they lost Henry Cavill as Superman. Yeah. You know, Affleck's been going back and forth about being in this Batman film. I think they realize that the Justice League universe may be slowly falling apart. And they want these movies to stand on their own until they figure out what exactly they're going to do going forward. Which was a good idea because with with the fate of Superman being up in the air and along with Batman with us not knowing right. who's going to be playing those roles come time to film like another movie, it's best to not do anything involving that, which... I can understand that, but I was still upset at the fact that they did not introduce uh, Darkseid at all. Right. Who, in my opinion, is the DC version of Thanos. Well, that pissed a lot of people off with Justice League because they went with Steppenwolf. And in, in the in the comics, the way Justice League was is that villain should have been Darkseid. And Justice League kept referring to Steppenwolf as being the precursor to Darkseid. There's even lines where Steppenwolf says, you know, I'm the precursor to Darkseid. And now I'm wondering if we're ever going to get that film because with Cavill being gone and Affleck tossing this up, are we ever going to get a true sequel to Justice League? I think we can. It's just a matter of can we find the right actors to fill the roles up. Right. You know, the thing of it is, too, is I I, I get why Cavill left because, you know, he long waited for them to make a true Man of Steel 2 and he was promised it by Warner Brothers over and over again. Yeah. And Man of Steel 2 then became Batman vs. Superman and then Man of Steel 2 got put on the back burner, and it was still being delayed and talked about, but never really going forward. Yeah. And I get why Cavill left for that reason. He just felt like maybe things were going nowhere. I Yeah, with them doing this, it's kind of easy to understand the fact that he left, like you were saying, because it wasn't really going anywhere. Right. But they backed themselves into such a corner with this now, because where do they go from here? You know, it's complicated because this Batman movie, too, is supposed to be coming. And they have the script done, and, and the director knows what he wants to do. But we keep hearing, you know, Affleck's going to do it. Affleck's not going to do it. Um, the director said he may want to go with a different Batman and might want to go younger. It, it, it's Honestly, they should go a younger Batman. They should have done that from the beginning. Yeah. Going older was, was foolish because Affleck's already getting old. He wasn't going to play the role for 15 years. Oh, God, no. You know, unless they plan planned on putting a Batman movie out every two or three years with Justice League, it wasn't going to work. Which makes you wonder, like, what are they going to do with this now, though? Because you've got the fact that uh, 
you had a great actor in Christian Bale playing Batman. Oh yeah, but they fucked this up. They're not gonna. But he's obviously done doing that. Who are we gonna get to fill that role that will be willing to do this for that extended period of time? Well, Just like you've got people like Chris Evans and uh, Robert Downey Jr. who fulfilled their roles in Marvel respectively for as long as they have. Right, and the thing of it is, too, Marvel was smart in that respect because even though they didn't cast overly young for those roles, they were putting movies out every two years. So either we were getting sequels to their own movies or we were getting Avengers sequels. And and what's good, too, about Robert Downey is that he wasn't only doing Iron Man sequels, he was also in Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, which he was the thing you to look at with that with him, he was, well, not only just that, like he's had little bits and pieces of cameos in... Almost every Marvel movie. Incredible Hulk being one of the ones, too, that nobody really, really remembers. Yeah, like, just like you had uh, Samuel L. Jackson being Nick Fury, how he showed up in almost every Marvel movie that's been out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Marvel Marvel has a a map of how to do things. And DC... And it's just upsetting to see because DC should be... I get that they're trying not to follow... Marvel that closely because they want to be doing their own thing, but they're being at least look at how Marvel has their stuff all planned out. Look at the fact that they've got it plotted out to the point where they know that every year or two, maybe three, they've got another movie coming out that's going to tie into the universe that they're in, or something like that, because. What DC's doing right now is just absolutely ludicrous. Like well, they, it's completely and utterly asinine how they can't pull their heads out of their own asses long enough to realize that they need to come up with some sort of plan, or they're going. No one's going to care. Well, the thing is, too, DC is coming late into the game, um, and and you know, with Marvel winding down their their first three phases. Here's the thing, though, Mar- DC isn't coming in late to the game. They've just redone Batman and Superman so many times That's true. that no one cares. Well, the mistake I think DC made, too, is when they made Superman Returns. I mean, they, they were saying that Superman Returns was a was a sequel to Superman 2, the Christopher Reeve one. Yeah. And they were so worried about replicating how that movie looked that they wasted all that time on that movie. And I don't know if their intent was to make sequel to Superman Returns or not. I, I mean, hope not. I, I don't see how because, I mean, Superman Returns didn't really work as a whole, period. It's yeah. not that, um, it's not that the, the, the Superman was bad. It's not that Brandon Routh was a bad Superman. It was just that Kevin Spacey was trying to replicate Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Bosworth played an okay Lois Lane, but let's be honest. The movies have not really gotten Lois Lane right since Margot Kidder's and Christopher Reeves. They have not gotten Lois Lane right oh, in the God, movies. No. In the TV shows, they have gotten it right, minus how Supergirl's going. It, no, we but We don't talk about that. Well, yeah, but the movies have gotten Lois Lane wrong since Margot Kidder, and I don't know what their issue is. I mean, no offense to Amy Adams, she's a great actress, but she's just not Lois Lane. No, not at all. And, and and that, to me, that, that hurts it. I mean, I could think of about five different actresses that could have played Lois Lane ten times better or would have fit the role ten times better. Not acted better, but fit the role better. I'm sure, I mean, you were thinking of at least one person in particular 
that we both think would do a great job, and that would be... You got me on this one. Oh, no, I know there's someone out there that you think could do a great job playing Lois Lane. Well, I know I have my theory on who I would have liked to have played Lois Lane. That just carries over from Smallville, but... Who? Well, the, the uh, Erica Durant who played Lois Lane yeah. in Smallville. Yeah. She was the... To me, she was the perfect Lois Lane. She played it with spunk. She played it with humor. She had everything that just embodied what Lois Lane was. Which I wish that they would bring in. <sighs> yeah, well... That also goes to the fact that I think Smallville should have bridged over into being the Superman movies was, especially where Smallville ended. Yeah, especially with how they ended, you would have thought that they would have done that. Would have made sense, just like what they did with the end of Christian Bale's Batman. That was the perfect way to get into the universe, and they ignored it and did it all over again. DC has made mistake after mistake after mistake, and even though they're making good movies like Wonder Woman and Aquaman, I can't sit here with, with the confidence that going forward they're going to get this right. In a big picture. I, I can't either. I'm going to hold on to hope, but I'm not going to glue myself to that hope. I mean, I'm almost thinking that DC is almost better off making these more obscure films like Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad and then putting out the occasional like Wonder Woman, Aquaman type Flash kind of things. Yeah. Maybe we're to the point where right now maybe we just need to let Batman and Superman sit on the back burner until they figure it out and they really think about it and just make these films that are working and these side films until they get the whole thing figured out, or maybe they just do this and just forget about Batman and Superman. As much as I don't want to, I agree. That's what they should do. It just seems like we're to that point. Um, looking ahead, uh, just to put some final thoughts on Aquaman, uh, two things. Uh, the movie did cost 160 to $200 million budget, and as of right now, worldwide, it has made $1 billion. Yeah, looking at this right now, as of January 31st, uh, Aquaman has grossed almost $319 million in the United States and Canada and $778 million in other territories for a total worldwide gross of just under $1.1 billion. $1.097 billion. That has got to be... I don't know if that's quite as high as Wonder Woman. It's got to be close. I think Wonder Woman might have done just a little bit more. Okay, yeah, probably not by much, but um, this I mean this is this is great for DC. I mean, I mean the reviews were pretty positive. I mean the movie got a sixty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which well, is not great. Well, looking at this right here though, uh, domestically where they have us here, uh, the day after announcing the early Amazon screenings, Aquaman's first twenty four hour pre sale totals became the highest in the history of Adam tickets. It beat out Avengers: Infinity War. Wow. As well as outpacing uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, another film that Amazon Prime offered early to subscribers. The film made $3 million from the Amazon preview alone in only 1,225 theaters? Yeah. That's impressive. Higher than the $1.86 million made by Jumanji. Wow. I mean, this, is, this really is shocking because, you know, being a DC movie, you know, things have always kind of come out as a whimper, but... I mean, a good well, film looking, will do this. Yeah, well, looking at this here, um, I mean, in the United States and Canada, Aquaman was released alongside Bumblebee, Second mm -hmm. Act, and Welcome to Morrowind, and it was projected to gross between 65 to 70 million in its opening weekend and 120 million over the first five days. I mean, it had some tracking figures that are going as high as 150 million. 
That's impressive. I mean, the movie exceeded expectations, I think. I oh, think yeah. it did a big time. I don't think anybody thought that Aquaman was going to make a billion dollars. Well, let's see here. We've got the fact that it made 20, $28 million on its first day, uh, including $9 million from the Thursday night previews, a total of $13.7 million, including the Amazon screenings and a Wednesday preview. It went on to debut about $67.9 million, uh, which be the 73.2, including all the early showings. Here's the interesting part. Yeah. It topped the box office, but it was the lowest opening for the uh, DC Extended Universe. Which is surprising to hear, considering that you would have thought that a lot more people would have been more hyped to see this compared to movies like uh, Wonder Woman. Or movies like uh, True. the Batman vs Superman. Well, a I th- lot of people. I think that what it has to do with is the fact that a lot of people who are into like the comic book scene and everything, or watching the movies based off the comics, right. don't really know a whole lot about Aquaman. True. That's Me really personally, true. I was very excited and very hyped for this movie because of the fact that I'm a huge comic book fan. I followed a lot of these comics. From when I was young till mm-hmm. now, so you already had knowledge of a lot of stuff, so it made you genuinely excited for. It, which you're right, a lot of people I don't think are very much. They don't know much about Aquaman, so, no. and I think once people saw the movie, they loved it and went to go see it numerous times. And now, like a lot of the people who aren't like heavy into uh, comics and everything, when they see. The Justice League, they see Wonder Woman, they see Batman, they see Superman, they see Martian Manhunter, they see all these other people. I'll command that they see, they just think, oh, he just sucks the fish, who cares? (laughs) When they fail to realize that he is probably one of the strongest superheroes in the DC Universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially if he can find a way to get the fight into water, he could probably make a strong case for beating Superman. That's a good point. I I, I can probably agree with that. I mean, I, I'm with you 100% on that. because Especially with the fact that you've got uh, his ability to communicate telepathically with all marine life. Mm-hmm. That's true, because what he can bring to the table from... From the ocean and all and all the life yeah. in the ocean, yeah, he brings a lot to the table there, a lot to the table. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the movie's done well. Uh, the critic scores were only sixty six percent, but you know, for it being based a, on three hundred and sixteen reviews with yeah. an average of six out of ten. Right. I it's the critical consensus from Rotten Tomatoes was, uh, you know. Aquaman swims with its entertainingly ludicrous tide, offering a CGI superhero uh, spectacle that delivers with energetic action with an emphasis on good old-fashioned fun. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, I agree with that. It does a lot of this stuff. A lot of stuff is yeah. kind of off-the-wall, like, ludicrous, like, could have got a little much at points. Yeah. But you get to see it for what it really is. It did a great job. And now, uh, what about Metacritic? 
Uh, Metacritic surveyed 49 critic reviews and assessed 22 is positive, 21 is mixed, and 6 negative. Now, the, here's the interesting review. Now, th this actually is almost on point, I can agree. Mm -hmm. Variety, Variety Magazine criticized the dialogue but praised James Wan's direction, the production design, and the final act. He says, The biggest surprise here is how after the running time of a standard-length film has elapsed, Aquaman suddenly kicks the movie up a level for the finale, which is a deep-sea battle on par with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's interesting, and that's that's about right. The, the the final act really is good. I mean, if you look at a lot of superhero movies, they usually fall into predictability and just, you know, the same old thing in the final act, especially Marvel movies. They do fall into that sometimes. But the beginning and the first two acts still carry the movie through to being good. Um, Whereas a lot of DC films that you see, like, you'll get some... You'll get so like coasting throughout the entire thing, and then just completely dives off. Whereas Aquaman, it was a slow building at first, and then right. when it got to that final act, it's, it hits you. Yeah, I mean, you think of it too. The movie does have a slow build. I mean, really, the movie doesn't really get going until we get to Atlantis and see Atlantis for the first time. That's where things really get going, and that's about thirty-five to forty minutes in. And this film runs about two twenty. Yeah. So um, it takes about a half hour to go, but we get it because they're making this very much an origin story, even though we know who Aquaman is from Justice League, you know, so you're able to forgive that. And that's why this movie is very much on par with a lot of the Marvel movies, because it actually does something that a lot of superhero films doesn't, and it carries you into a big, booming final act that a lot of films, superhero films, suffer from. Mm. Um, but looking at this here... Uh... Writing for the Rolling Stone, uh, Peter Travers gave the film two and a half out of five stars. Ooh. I uh, mean, same thing that you saw from uh, Peter DeBruge from The Variety. Uh, he praised Juan's ambition and Momoa's performance, but criticized the plot and dialogue, writing, Aquaman is a mess of clashing tones and shameless silliness but a relief after all the franchise's recent superhero gloom. No. Which, yes, that is a, it's a good relief from all the depressing crap that you've seen in all, all the DC films lately. Uh-huh. But I, but I don't agree with this effect that like, they're just calling it, you know, the mess of clashing tones and the shameless silliness. Like, yes, it had its like yeah. silly moments and everything with... Aquaman having the selfie with the guy with the bikers at the bar. I thought that was funny. Like that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And that it. Well, let's the, see, uh, the what were you saying? The, the problem that I'm having with a lot of critics today, and this is something that I really criticize them for, is that you have these critics that just don't understand certain films. You know, it's like when you go see a comedy or you go see a kid's film. They review it so terribly. It's like, do you realize what you're seeing? Do you realize who the film was made for? A lot of critics just don't flat out get it. A lot of these critics will just gush over foreign films. And it's like, you realize the film world is about so much more than just foreign films and everything being artistic. To be honest, when you watch Aquaman, there is something artistic about it. There is. But, yeah. they, but they won't compare it to a foreign film because a foreign film's got to be sharp with dialogue and be overly dramatic and just be completely drab. And let me tell you something. Majority of foreign films... They're downright fucking boring. They really are. I, well, it depends on... I won't say that they're boring. I would say it depends on how much you can get yourself behind that sort of genre of film. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and there are some of those films that are really good. It's just that I think the thing that really frustrates me is that they look at those films and no matter which one it is, they always gush over them. Yeah. And then movies like this come out and they trash them. It's like when superhero movies get snubbed when it comes down to the Oscars. What's surprising is, is Black Panther now is the first superhero movie ever to get nominated for Best Picture this year. Really? Yeah. Now, they have said that the Best Picture category at the Oscars is 10 films. It used to be five. The reason why they expanded it to 10 actually is because of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Because they felt like after the Oscars that the movie got snubbed and should have been nominated. And at the time, there was only five films and it didn't make the cut. So they said, so films like The Dark Knight don't get snubbed again. Let's expand it to 10. But what do you? There's at that point, there's just no pleasing anybody because what are you gonna do if you're outside of that bubble for ten, and you and people feel like you're right. what you really deserve to be. Well, here's what frustrates me: I look at the Oscar slate and I see Black Panther nominated for Best Picture, but Infinity War is not. Yeah. I mean, look at the scale of Infinity War. Look at the story. Look at the emotion. Look at the ending of the film. It ends like no other superhero movie ever has before. It's depressing. And there's a lot of emotion but behind it's it. How the, it. Comparing that to The Dark Knight, though, it's like night and day when you think about it. Because yeah. it, it, it wasn't just how this movie was put together. It was... Just how well everyone in that movie had acted. Correct. But tell me, what makes Black Panther more deserving than Infinity War? A Black Panther more deserving than Infinity War? That's my problem. That I don't really know for sure. I don't see how they feel like Black Panther is a better film than Infinity War. Look at Infinity War's cast and look how every single cast member of that film steps up. You look at their performances in all their movies. Look at how they all step it up a notch in that film. All of them. Well, yeah, of course they're going to step it up more of a notch in that one because it's the big lead-in to... All the movies were a big lead-in to these movies. Yeah. But <coughs> what I mean is that basically you see things out of, uh, out of the characters or the actors that you didn't see in their own films. I mean, you see all this emotion come out of Thor... That you really never saw in the in the three Thor films. You you see the emotion and, and and his connection with his people and his brother. These are things you don't really see. Captain America, we're really starting to see the how broken he is. You know, mi- mi- missing the time he's from and realizing he truly is alone in the world. Yeah. You know, you're really starting to see things that you didn't see in the other films. And that's why I criticize the Oscar committee because it's like, why did Black Panther get a nomination but Infinity War got snubbed? I'm not really seeing why that is. Uh, we'll end up hearing the reasons behind it hopefully sometime soon. Well, I, I can I can tell you that Black Panther ain't going to win the category. I, I can tell you oh, that God, for no. sure. Um, it's just the whole nomination yeah, thing is so, confusing. The biggest thing we're going to lead into here is the before we end up going into any last minute stuff we want to talk about, I want to talk about uh, the sequel. Yeah. Because in December, uh, it was reported that Warner Brothers Pictures chairman to- Toby Emmerich had uh, the studio developing a sequel. Discussions of a follow-up film had begun during post-production when... 
uh, director James Wan started to total film stated to total film that the first film purposefully left room for further stories. Rightfully so. Uh, Jason Momoa told Sci-Fi Wire that he had the beginning for a sequel written, and that after he pitched it to the studio through Emmerich and Safran, uh, they were receptive and enthusiastic about his ideas. Wow. Uh, in January, the sequel was officially confirmed to be in development, with the studio already courting Juan to return for the movie. I hope so, he should. And it's thought that he'll pick up a significant pay increase due to being the only filmmaker to helm two one-plus billion movies for two separate studios. What was the other movie he did that was one billion dollars? I gotta see what that is. I don't... What, what other film did he do? Oh, Furious 7. Yep. That would be the other one. Because if you look at his um, his filmography, I mean, he was really involved in the Saw films. I mean, you look here, he was the director of Saw 1. Uh, he didn't direct any other Saw film after that, but he was either um, a story in the other ones or he was executive producer on all of them. But he's done Dead Silence, Death Sentence, Insidious. He directed... No, he, yeah, he's... Mainly a horror film, right? Person, and that's why or drama or like suspense style films. Furious Seven was a huge detour for him, and he and he did very well with that film too. I mean, he handled the the, the bigness of a blockbuster very well. Um, I didn't. What I, you're seeing with at uh, his film history here, it's all horror, horror or suspense films, minus Furious Seven and Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah, he, he produced, or executive produced a lot of horror films, Insidious Saw, uh, Conjuring, and all that other stuff. But And you look at going forward of his career, minus possibly returning for Aquaman 2, again, it's all horror. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy, never would have thought in a million years that this guy would have been the right fit for Aquaman, nor Furious 7, and he pulled it off. He really has, and I'm very happy with how he's done. And I hope he does return, because I, I don't I like don't, when they change directors in the I middle of series. I don't see how... Uh, it would be. No. I, I think they're going to pay him a hefty fee to bring him back because they're not DC's not going to risk a sequel going down the drain because it might actually kill the franchise at this point for DC. Oh, God, no. Yeah, they're going to throw the money at him. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, oh, I just found one little note here. Yeah. So the film grossed over a billion dollars worldwide, we said, right? Mm-hmm. It became the highest-grossing DCEU film as well as the highest-grossing film based on a DC Comics character, and it surpassed The Dark Knight Rises. Really? So opened the lowest opening weekend, but now is the highest DC. Word of mouth and box office carried it. All right. Did not know that. That's very interesting going forward. Good for DC, man. I hope they get this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, hoping, right. I'm hoping that this is a sign of things to come for us for DC movies, at least. One can hope, man. One can hope. DC, please get this right. Okay. Well, I think overall we both solidly recommend Aquaman. No question here. Yeah. No, not at all. Solid recommendation. Definitely carries DC into a hopefully a bright future just like Wonder Woman did. All right. Uh, any ideas to what we should do for another pot in our next podcast? Well, I'm trying to think of what big movies are coming down the pipeline here. Um... I mean, honestly, right now, people, what you're going to see a lot of is uh, a lot of our reviews being going up on our site, which yeah. Mike had mentioned at the beginning is linked on our Facebook page. Um, so a lot of what we're going to be 
putting out right now is going to be going up on there. But like our next big, big film that we're probably going to do... Is looking like Captain Marvel. Yeah, which is going to be early March. Yeah, and I want to say we're not going to do another podcast between now and then because we want to be able to keep the podcast fresh. So basically, I'm thinking probably our next podcast will probably be something... Kind of like what we did with, with the Belco experiment. We, we picked something out that's got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to probably find a movie or, you know, please go on yeah, the Facebook but, yeah, page like, and tell uh, us. Facebook page. Uh, leave comments on any of our podcasts at all because we do see any of... We yep. do see all this. We check all the time. Uh, on our site that you'd find through our Facebook page. We do have a contact section on, on our page page, so you can email us if you have a suggestion as well. But yes, please, please, please give us ideas. Please. We need we need them because, you know, we'll be keeping up with written reviews based upon what we see. We'll try to keep consistent with that. You'll see more written reviews come out more than podcasts because, of course, you know, we can't do podcasts for everything, but we can write reviews because they're a lot quicker to do and put out. Um... So, yeah, you can contact us on the site and all that stuff. Uh, trying to think what else there is. Uh, you got any other big news or anything like that going on? Because I know we announced at the beginning that we're, uh, we have launched the site. We're right. looking into getting our press passes for the Clean Cleveland Film Festival. Festival in Which, March. in that case, we will be pumping out a lot of written reviews at that point if we get in there. Um, uh, and the, is there anything else? Um, March 8th with Captain Marvel. Um, I know you and I talked about bringing in a guest star into the podcast because, uh, we've been wanting to bring somebody else in third person to kind of talk about it. Um, I know, uh, well, not even just a third person for that, but I wanted to do a Marvel podcast in general following the MCU. Yeah, I think it would be good to do a Marvel MCU podcast right before Endgame comes out because Endgame's going to kind of end the universe as we've known it with a lot of our original characters. Yeah. So that'd be the perfect time to kind of lead into Endgame's podcast as well. Um, so yeah, we want to get a lot of people involved in that. I know we're talking about I want to get at Martin. least two more people involved in this. We'll I want to make for sure. a four-person podcast. I'd probably get Jason and Martin probably involved in that because they're very much involved in, the, in Marvel, uh, yeah. Marvel Universe like we are. So that's a, a possibility as well. Um, I should also mention too, we are also now on Instagram too, so you can follow us on Instagram to know when we post new written reviews. You can stay um, up to date on that. And we are working on getting a Twitter up and everything like that, so yes. you'll be able to get us on there. Every which way, we're trying to promote, so therefore you guys can stay in tune with us, give us suggestions, uh, us. Another big thing that we're looking at doing here sometime down the line, uh, not right now, but it will be happening sometime, hopefully this year. Um, I wanted, wanted to actually talk to you about this as well, mm -hmm. uh, getting it set up so that we, we've got a uh, recording of us doing these podcasts and being able to put it up, uh, edited wise on YouTube video. Yeah. I was thinking about that too, you know, doing, uh, where you can have the option, you can listen to the audio podcast like this, but then you also have the option to watch the video where we can do more interactive stuff within the podcast that you can see us visually doing. And um, like another big thing we're going to do is like how a lot of these podcasts are set up now is uh, we're going to look into doing something like getting like a separate uh, line and everything like that. So people that are, once we get more people interested in our uh, podcast, hopefully being able to have people like calling in and everything. Yeah, that would be like if we were live streaming <coughs> um, a podcast. Like I think it'll be a really cool idea. Like th this is something I was thinking about too. Like after we see... Endgame, 
you know, the day after we see Endgame, you know, doing a live YouTube streamed podcast about Endgame to get live reaction. People can call in to the podcast and ask questions to us and, and just talk about the film in general. I think it'd be a really cool way to get people more, you know, interacted with the podcast and feel a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be a really good idea. Um, uh, but was there anything else that we wanted to go over here? I think we're good. Oh, let's see. Uh, keep subscribing if you haven't subscribed. Keep following the podcast on iTunes and CastBox and Facebook. And listen to the podcast on our site. You can find our website address on our Facebook. I will repost it on the Instagram as well. Um, and then I will post again when we have launched our official domain name for LCA Reviews. Therefore, it will be easy to find us. Yeah. Alright, so if that is everything, uh, I am Jason Kabasik. I'm Mike Winkler. And this has been uh, Lights, Camera, Action, Movie Review Podcast. And uh, that is a wrap. Keep reading our reviews, people, because we'll be back. I'm no leader. I came because I have no choice. I came to save my home and the people that I love. I think you're unworthy to lead because you're of two different worlds. That is exactly why you are worthy. That was awesome. The war is coming to the surface. And I'm bringing the wrath of the seven seas with me. We're here. What are you doing? Wait, wait, wait. Redheads! You gotta love them!